Tonight we're going to study another of God's attributes, his wisdom. But before we get into our study, let's pray. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' mighty name. And Lord, we just come here with open hearts, Lord, and open minds, willing to learn more of who you are, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that tonight you would just help us to put aside the cares of the day, Lord, and cares of the evening, cares of tomorrow, Father, to just be able to sit here and really drink in all that you have for us tonight, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would change us. Help us to be those godly women that you have called us to be, Lord. Give us your wisdom. Father, I just uh, pray that you would be glorified in this study, Father, and that we would walk away uh, knowing that we have uh, free and liberal access, Lord, to come to you any time. And so I just thank you, Lord, for the work that you're about to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to begin by sharing with you uh, a little Noreen trivia. I had an uncle whose name was Phil de Leon, and he was my mother's youngest brother. Now, of 12 children, my mother was number four, and Uncle Phil was number 11. And though there were, you know, uh, quite a bit of difference uh, of years in their ages, these two were thicker than thieves, and they were very close. Uh, I didn't have a very close relationship with my father, but my uncle Phil was the father I always wanted, and I loved him with all my heart. Now, there were two things I loved most about my uncle. First of all, he always made me feel important and special. You know, he always had time for me, time to talk to me, time to listen to me, time to converse with me, laugh with me, counsel me. And the second thing I loved about my uncle was um, that he knew how to do everything, or so it seemed. And he was willing to share this knowledge with me. Now, after my father died back in 1970, Uncle Phil always made it a point to come visit my mother and me and uh, about twice a year. And he would... Uh, come to help us with anything we needed around the house. And uh, he lived in Nevada, and he would come more often, but he had asthma. And so uh, he could only stay for like three days before he got very sick. Um, but before he would uh, come, he would always call me up, and he'd say, Honey, I'm coming down. Do you need a plumber, an electrician? or a carpenter. And I knew that meant he needed to know because he needed to bring the right tools. And he had a bunch of tools. And so I would tell him, oh, uncle, we're having plumbing problems or whatever. And sure enough, he'd bring his tools. And whenever he worked on our house, you know, I was his trusty assistant, as a little shadow, always by his side, and go with him to Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever we had to go. And or I'd hand him the tools as he was working, or I would assist him, you know, hold a pipe up or whatever it was. And as he worked, he taught me. And so, thanks be to him, I know a little bit about plumbing and electrical and carpentry 
um, enough at least to save me a few bucks every now and then on the simple things. And when he wasn't around, I would call him on the phone, and he would walk me through the process. And that long-distance phone call was still cheaper than if I had called in a plumber or an electrician. And what amazed me the most about Uncle Phil was that he was a self-taught man for the most part. You know, he was constantly reading books and learning various things, and then he applied that knowledge to accomplish various tasks. Now, he worked full-time, but after work and on the weekends, he was usually in his garage, in his workshop, repairing things or building things or designing things. Um, And he just loved to, to work. And he always used his knowledge to help out other people. And it was so cute because on his block, um, there were um, two or three little widows. And they would, you know, they absolutely loved him. And they would call him up, you know, Phil, my uh, my sink stopped up. Can you come help? And he'd go, yeah, my son and I will be over in a few minutes. And they'd go and they'd fix it up for them and everything. And he'd always come home to Aunt Janie with a piece of cake, piece of pie, cookies. And Aunt Janie was, you know, a, a beautiful Christian woman. And she was just as loving and giving as he was. And so she didn't mind when the little widows called for, for him to go over and help. And as wise as my uncle had become through the years... His wisdom was earthly and limited. You know, there were many things that my uncle did not know, even though he was always trying to figure it out. Some things were just beyond his expertise. But we have a God who is omniscient, meaning that he is all-knowing and he is all-wise. He knows everything about everything, and he possesses all wisdom. Paul declared in Romans 16.27 and in 1 Timothy 1.17 that God is the only wise God. He alone has perfect wisdom. And so tonight I want us to consider three questions pertaining to God's wisdom. First, I want us to look at what is God's wisdom. Secondly, where is God's wisdom seen? And third, what benefit? Is God's wisdom to us, and how do we get it? So let's first look at what is God's wisdom. Many times we use the word knowledge and wisdom interchangeably, but actually there is a difference between the two. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts or ideas about something acquired by study, investigation, observation, or experience. And knowledge is good, but by itself, it's inadequate because you can possess a lot of knowledge yet never do anything with it. You know, when I was going to college, I I met a few perpetual students, and all they did was go to school and just get degrees, and they They were very proud of the fact they had two or three bachelors and a couple of masters and working on a Ph.D. And I always thought, but to what end, you know, besides filling up your wall with plaques, you know? And we have to be careful because knowledge sometimes can lead to pride. 
and pride can lead us into a myriad of, myriad of other problems. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. 1 John 2.16 states, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Wisdom, on the other hand, is the best selection of knowledge to be applied in a situation in order to bring about a desired end and the best results. And I believe that's important to note. True wisdom does not just bring about results. It brings about the best results. Uh, Pastor Chuck once gave a cute example for this. And he said, Knowledge will tell you that a little black animal with a white stripe going down its back is a skunk. Knowledge will tell you that that skunk can excrete a pungent odor, which is hard to remove. Wisdom will tell you not to go up and try to pet that little animal, (laughs) but to get out of there before it hits you with it. Now, there are two types of wisdom. First, there's the wisdom of the world, also described in the Bible as human wisdom or the wisdom of man or the wisdom of this age. And this type of wisdom is acquired by knowledge, which is based on worldly principles and worldly desires, excuse me, values. For example, the world's wisdom says, be your own person, follow your heart, do whatever feels good, do whatever it takes to get ahead, and more is better. But the world's wisdom can often result in selfishness, self-centeredness, a sense of entitlement, pride, bitterness, and ultimately destruction of varying kinds. All we have to do is look around in our world today and we can see that that is true. 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And James 3.14-16 says, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. There's another type of wisdom, and the one which we're most concerned with tonight, and that is God's wisdom. Now, God's wisdom is acquired by knowledge taken from God's word. So, for example, the book of Proverbs is filled with God's wisdom. So that would be one book that uh, we should really read through often. God's wisdom can also come directly from God. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And in the Bible, there are many examples of God providing wisdom directly to people. For example, God spoke to Noah and to Abraham and to Moses and to David and to others. God's wisdom also involves all of his other attributes, which are perfect in themselves, resulting in a perfect application of knowledge. For example, we studied that God was immutable, meaning that he does not change. And if he does not change, then his wisdom cannot change. His wisdom cannot increase and it cannot decrease. And there is nothing that God needs to learn 
because his knowledge of the past, present, and future are perfect and complete. God said to Job in Job 37:16, Do you know the balance of the clouds, those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? Another example would be God is infinite, meaning that he is everlasting. He always was and always will be. And as Karen, I believe, shared with us, he's out, he exists outside the boundaries of time. And since he is infinite, then he is infinitely wise. And as an infinite being, if you can even imagine that, God couldn't just be a little bit wise. Okay? He is all wise all the time. In Colossians 2.3, Paul declares that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All. And we know that all in scripture means all. A third example is God is perfect. So his wisdom is perfect and without defect. And we will never hear God apologize for misspeaking or for making a mistake. Psalm 1830 says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. And Proverbs 2130 says, there is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. Another example is that God is beyond our full comprehension. So his wisdom is incomprehensible at times. You know, our finite minds, our little minds, cannot fully grasp all the wisdom of God. But because of who he is, we can believe that his wisdom is sufficient for every problem, every situation, and every need. We can believe that by faith. In Isaiah 55, 8, God declares, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. And Paul exclaimed in Romans 11, 33 and 34, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Now, God's wisdom as revealed in the scriptures will always be the best selection of knowledge to be applied in a situation to bring about the best results if we will just follow it. One of my personal life verses is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And this scripture was given to me by Karen Scotty, she probably doesn't remember, many, many years ago. And it has proven in my life to be true over and over again. You know, as long as I trust in the Lord and in his wisdom and do not lean to my own wisdom or to my own emotions, you know, then God in his timing sees me through the situation. This brings us, God bless you, This brings us to the second question to consider in our study. Where is God's wisdom seen? Well, God's wisdom is seen in many places and in many situations. But for the sake of time, 
I just want us to look at two. God's wisdom is clearly seen, first of all, in all of his creation. You know, Pastor X once shared with us that God's wisdom is seen in the variety of species and different forms of life in the world. Among the plants and the animals, there's a great variety of forms, shapes, colors, smells, and qualities. In Job 39.26, God asked Job, Does the hawk fly by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? Our seasons declare God's wisdom, for without the seasons, crops and animals and people cannot survive. Psalm 74.17 says of God, You have set all the borders of the earth. You have made summer and winter. God in his wisdom gave us the day and the night, the daytime to work and be active, and for all his creation to absorb the benefits of the sun, and the nighttime as a time of rest. Genesis 1, 16 to 18 says, God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. God's wisdom is clearly seen in our bodies and in the complexity and intricacy of the nervous system, the genetic coding, the natural healing process of the body, and in the functionality of every part of our bodies. You know, and you think about the lungs, the heart, you know, the kidneys, the liver, I mean, just everything. Um, I just find it so hard to believe that it was a result of an explosion. You know, it's like, no, the creator created this, you know. In Psalm 139.14, David declares, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. The earth is a result of God's wisdom, with its mountains and its valleys, its rivers and seas and the deserts and the lush gardens. You know, Proverbs 3.19 says, The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. God said of himself in Jeremiah 10.12, He has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. And finally, you have the planets and the stars and the galaxies. They all show forth the wisdom of God. For everything is held in place by his power, and their motions uh, are in a very orderly fashion. You know, the revolutions of the sun and the moon determine the seasons of the year and, they, and make day and night in an orderly succession. The stars and the planets keep their courses and they're perfectly set in the right place. The sun, for example, if it was any closer, we would burn up, or a little further, and we would freeze. You know, Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. In Colossians 1.16, Paul says of Jesus, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. 
So God's wisdom is clearly seen in all of his creation. And Psalm 104, 24 declares, O Lord, how manifold, and that word means how many and how varied are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. Secondly, God's wisdom is seen in his work of redemption through the person of Jesus Christ. You know, because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden, they incurred the penalty of death, physical death as well as spiritual death, not only for themselves but for all of their descendants. And in his wisdom, God knew that fallen man could not redeem himself. And so he made a plan for redemption, which would not violate his holiness, while at the same time would meet that payment for sin. And God's wisdom is clearly seen in his plan. For example, he planned that the Redeemer would come through the seed of a woman. In Genesis 3.15, it says that God told Satan, as the serpent in the Garden of Eden, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And here God is revealing that he would provide a redeemer and that there would be animosity between Satan and the redeemer. And he also reveals that Satan would wound the redeemer by saying, you know, uh, you shall bruise his heel. But the redeemer would crush Satan with a mortal wound. It also hints at the virgin birth of the redeemer because it refers to her seed. Uh, which was would be provided when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon her. Second plan, God planned that the seed would be God. Matthew one twenty three says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Third, God planned that Jesus would become a man and would dwell in a body. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Hebrews 10.5 states, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Fourthly, God planned that uh, he would send his son into the world at precisely the right time. Galatians 4, 4 says, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Fifthly, God planned that the son would suffer and die in our place to make full atonement for our sins and that he would be raised from the dead, breaking our bondage to sin and giving us eternal life with him. Mark eight thirty one says of Jesus, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And Jesus said in John 6:40, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Sixthly, God planned that the Son would go back to heaven and from there continue to mediate for us and to pray for us. 1 Timothy 2.5 declares, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, 
the man, Christ Jesus. Hebrews 7.25 says of Jesus, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And seventh, God planned that the entire canon of scriptures would speak of the Redeemer. In Hebrews 10.7, Jesus is quoted as saying, Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. So we see that God's wisdom is seen in his plan of redemption. That Jesus would be 100% man to identify with man, yet sinless and virgin born, and 100% God identifying with God. Jesus is our redeemer, died as man's... um, representative as the last Adam, making payment for sin and being raised by the power of God that his righteousness might be imputed to us. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And God did it in such a way that no person can boast None of us can say, oh, well, I got to heaven because I did this and that and whatever. And somebody else come along and say, oh, now I got to heaven by doing this and that and the other. You know, no man can boast. You know, we're justified by faith and grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. And finally, God's wisdom in his plan of redemption results in his glory alone. The plan was his all along, and he's the one who gets credit for it. Jude 25 declares, To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And the scriptures state in Romans 3.10 that there is none righteous, no, not one. And again in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as God's plan is revealed, we can only get into right standing with God. We can only gain entrance into heaven by believing in his plan of redemption, by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And I just want to say, if there's anyone here tonight who has not accepted God's plan of redemption through Jesus, I want to invite you to do that tonight before you leave. And it's really easy. All you have to do is tell God that you're a sinner and that you want Jesus to come into your heart, into your life as your Lord and Savior. Ask him to forgive you of all your sins and ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And when you do, then you will be born again and you will be saved from the penalty of your sins and you will become a new creation in the family of God. And then all you have to do is find a good Bible teaching church and grow in the Lord and in his word and serve the Lord with joy. John three sixteen and 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. And this brings us to the third question to consider in our study. What benefit is God's wisdom to us and how do we get it? Well, the benefit of God's wisdom to us are many, but I want to cover three. First of all, God's wisdom is beneficial to us because it focuses on practical living in obedience to his revealed will. You know, the fool in Proverbs is not the person who is mentally deficient, but rather it's the person who is morally deficient. You know, the fool ignores God's commandments and lives according to human wisdom and according to his own feelings. The wise person lives in obedience to God, who has given us his commandments and his word for our protection, for our edification, and for our sanctification. You know, God has a plan for each one of our lives. And it's a plan for good and not for evil. You know, and that's why the Bible declares in Job 28, 28, that the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. And the fear of the Lord referred to here is not a fear of the Lord, but a deep reverence for him. You know, we choose to obey God's commands out of great love and respect for who he is. And also in grateful response for all that he does for us on a daily basis. We cannot thank God enough for all that he does for us. In John 14, 23, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And 1 John 4.19 says, we love him because he first loved us. Second, God's wisdom is beneficial to us because it helps us to avoid being deceived by the world's wisdom. For example, the world says all roads lead to God or there are many ways to God, but not according to Jesus. In John 14.6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Now notice that Jesus didn't say that he was a way or a truth or a life, you know, but rather he said he is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to God. And this declaration comes directly from Jesus himself. So if you have a problem with it, take it up with the Lord. If we choose to reach the Father in any other way, then we're walking on a path that's ultimately going to lead to death. Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25 say, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So we need to know God's word, God's wisdom, to avoid being deceived by the world's wisdom. Thirdly, God's wisdom is beneficial to us because it shows us how to live and how to behave in everyday living and in various circumstances. Proverbs 14.8 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. God's wisdom helps us to understand our way by helping us to consider where our actions lead the motives from which they spring, and the results which may occur. 
And I, I feel a lot of people in the world today don't think about that. They just live for the moment. But we're called to really examine our walk. You know, why do we do the things we do? Why do we say the things we say? And what are the consequences of those things? Matthew Henry, in his commentary on this particular proverb, said, Christian prudence is to understand our own way, not to be critics and busybodies in other people's matters, but to look well at ourselves and ponder the path of our feet, to understand the directions of our way that we may observe them, the dangers of our way that we may avoid them, the difficulties of our way that we may break through them, and the advantages of our way that we may walk toward them. You know, God's wisdom helps us to become more like Jesus and less like ourselves. And it helps us to get through various circumstances with patience and perseverance and joy. And finally, all this leads to the obvious question, how do we get God's wisdom? And I want to share with you five ways. First, we get God's wisdom by asking him for it. You know, when King David got to a point where he didn't know what to do, the scriptures tell us that he inquired of the Lord. And one crucial element needed in asking for wisdom is faith. James 1, 5 to 8 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So here James is telling us that whenever we need wisdom, We just need to ask God for it, and he will give it to us generously and without despising that we ask for it. You know, he will never say, "Uh, Lucy, you're asking for wisdom again? I just gave it to you yesterday. (laughs) He'll never say that. He has so much wisdom, and he just loves to give it to us. Says it says he will give it to us liberally and without any reproach. Sorry, I lost my place. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. <laughs> I need wisdom. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> Okay, but we need to um, we need to ask in faith, never doubting. This is important. Never doubting God's ability. Eva, are you trying to? Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, so it's really important that we never doubt God's ability or His desire to give us His wisdom. You know, I think sometimes we, we get down on ourselves and we may say, well, you know, I don't know. I can't ask God because, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not worthy. 
for God's wisdom. And, you know, he's got more important things in this little situation that I'm going through. But that's not true. You know, that's the voice of the enemy. You ask for wisdom and God will give it to you. Secondly, we get wisdom when we obey God's word. You know, it's not enough just to study God's word. We must be willing to obey it. You know, God's word teaches us the right way that we should go. And it also warns us of the consequences of disobedience. And God loves us so much that he just didn't leave us to ourselves to wander around and figure it out. You know, he gave us his word for our protection. And obedience will reveal our true desire for wisdom. But we have to remember that we will gain wisdom either through our obedience or through our disobedience, one way or another. God, through Moses, told the Israelites in Deuteronomy 12:28, Observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. James 3:13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Third, we gain wisdom as a result of prayer. In times of prayer, we gain wisdom by learning various things. For example, we learn to humble our hearts before the Lord, to trust in his character and in his attributes, to be quiet and to listen for God's voice, and to wait patiently for his answer. And often that's the hardest thing to do. We also gain wisdom as we meditate upon the word that the Spirit may bring to our remembrance as we're praying. Psalm 46.10 commands us, Be still and know that I am God. Fourth, we gain wisdom through wise counsel. You know, it's good at times to seek wise counsel from godly people like a pastor or a trusted Christian family member or friend, you know. And once they have given you their counsel, be sure you go to the scriptures to make sure that it doesn't contradict it. You know, Proverbs twelve fifteen says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. And Proverbs nineteen twenty says, Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. And fifthly, we gain wisdom when we associate with wise people. You know, we need to surround ourselves with wise Christian people, people who pray, people who love the Lord, people who study the word, people who seek to walk in God's ways. You know, we can gain wisdom from others' mistakes as well as their accomplishments. And especially if you're a young Christian, you can gain much wisdom by associating with an older Christian in the Lord. Proverbs 13:20 says, "He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed." The world's wisdom changes, and it's often focused on self. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3:19 that the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. And this is why God's wisdom is so very necessary in our Christian walk. And we know that God's wisdom is unending. He's got more wisdom than we could ever ask for.
So no matter how big or how little our situation is, God can provide his wisdom to help us in that time of need. And I just want to leave you with two scriptures to reflect on. One is Proverbs 2, verses 10 to 15, which says, When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths. And the second one is Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17, which says, See then that you walk circumspectly, meaning carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Our God is all wise, all the time, and his wisdom is free for the asking. And his wisdom should be to us more valuable than silver or gold. We need to get God's wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom that you give us in the word and that you give us liberally just for the asking, Father. And I just pray, Lord, that you would give each and every woman in this room tonight, Lord, your wisdom. Guide her, direct her through your word, Father. Help her to look to you um, in all situations, Father, big or small. And that she would trust you and that she would know that you are able, Lord, and that you desire to give us your wisdom. And so I ask, Father, that you would just uh, be with us tonight, Lord. Grant us traveling mercies as we go home. Shield us and protect us, Lord. We love you so much, Father. You are so good to us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.